All right. We can turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Lord willing, we will wrap up our study through Ephesians today. Uh, The last half of this chapter is uh, definitely sort of the climax. And uh, it's something that, you know, most people, Sunday schools, uh, youth groups, uh, all of that, they kind of focus in on this. Uh, Church camps, you know, it's like, all right, you know, church camp, we're going to look at Ephesians 6 and we're going to leave here with armor and you're going to win in life. Well, life hits pretty hard. Um, And now we're, we're coming back at this years later. Uh, I know for me, I'm looking at it, I go, well, I thought I had my armor on. And then you, you, you go off into life and things start happening. And there's some things that, that come, unfortunately, uh, very vividly into your life, truths, such as, oh, I, I had a shield, but the bullets went right through it, <laughs> you know? Um, I had a helmet, but he hit me on the head with a sledgehammer. And, you know, I, I, I feel like the armor isn't holding up. And the, the thing is, is your armor is only as strong as it really is. It's not as strong as you think it is. We go into combat, you see, it's thinking our shield, it's, it's like five inches thick, right? I mean, there's nothing getting through this. And it says here in the scripture this morning that it's the fiery darts of the enemy that hit. I, I don't know if any of y'all saw the movie Braveheart, but that's my kind of movie. You know? I, I like that movie. But in Braveheart, there's this one foul-mouthed little dude from Ireland, and he comes over there, and he's like, it's my country. You know, I'm over here. I'm going to help you fight. And, and there's this one scene. It's just really cool, but all of the arrows fly on the battlefield, and it hits him, and he holds his shield up. And the arrow pokes through the shield. So he's kind of looking beside his head, you know, like, ooh, <laughs> at this arrowhead that sticks through the shield. And I thought, that's, that's really good because that's exactly the Christian. You, you have this shield and you think, I'm the fiery darts of the enemy, not getting through this thing. And then we're caught going, whoa, that one just now went through my shield. What happened? Well, it was thin. That's what happened. Your, your armor was thin. It's really simple. Well, you, need, you need better armor. And maybe your armor isn't as thick as you think it is. And that's why this is here this morning, is for us to revisit it. Because we're all in a fight, whether you know it or not. I hope you're in the right fight in life. We're all, we're all fighting. I could, I could pull you all into a room, you know, be your little psychiatrist for a minute, and ask you, so what's bothering you? There's nobody here that's going to say nothing. I'm so perfect. Yeah. Nobody. Everybody has either personal problems, problems that somebody else is riding in on you. A lot of us are that way. Well, I'm fine, but they've got the problem and they're coming into my life with it and messing mine up. So we've all got problems. Are you fighting the right fight? Um, This week I was sitting on the porch watching, all right, we've got cows out back and they, they were fighting a fight. Um, <laughs> these white birds that live down towards the Gulf, they're called cowbirds. They come up in here and, and they'll sit on top of cows a lot of times and they'll pick bugs off the cow's back to eat them. So they kind of coexist that way. Well, these, uh, all these cowbirds showed up at our place and they were all around. And our cows, 
they lost their minds um, running and bellering after the cowbirds. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And uh, for the better part of a week, I've, I'm afraid they're going to start losing weight. I mean, they are, they're running back and forth, chasing the cowbirds across the entire place. Um, and I thought, well, you're fighting a stupid fight. Um, you can't beat a bird for one and because uh, they just fly away and come back and keep pestering them. Um, they're fighting the wrong fight. And, you know, then I started thinking, I've seen a lot of people that do that. They're blah, and around they go in life, and they're fighting the wrong battles. And if you would ever put all that energy towards the right fight, you might get somewhere. And again, that's what this scripture is about. Starting in verse 10 of chapter 6, it says, finally, because he's at the end of the book. So he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So um, the enemy, who are we fighting? Well, it's not flesh and blood, so quit fighting each other. Even, here's something I've learned. When somebody comes up, you think against you, they're not coming up against you. There's a spirit that's at work there. And sometimes they're fighting themselves and they see what they don't like about themselves in you or the, their nemesis. They see you're able to conquer something that they can't and it causes them to begin to fight you. Um, they'll be jealous of you, but they'll never admit that. They'll be jealous of someone around you. They'll never admit that. Why? Because something's lacking in them. So don't take it so personal. Trust me, you're not on top of everybody else's mind. You're not as important to them as you think you are. Just saying. We are important to ourselves, but we always put ourselves into every equation. Sometimes it's not even your battle. Sometimes you're just caught up in a friendly fire situation. You show up and somebody gets mad at you and they just, you know throw everything in their arsenal at you and you know it, it's this isn't really your fight so be gracious and walk on you know it's it's not a fight to get involved in we don't wrestle with flesh and blood with each other really but it's against principalities principalities a scriptural word meaning heavenly kingdoms of angelic beings um, against powers those are angelic powers Remember, there were good angels and bad angels. In Isaiah, it talks about when Satan was cast out of heaven and a third of the angels were cast with him. Some people refer to those as uh, the demons, the fallen angels, you know, various different things. Lots of ideas there. But suffice it for today to just say there are good angels and there's bad angels. And, uh, you know, we don't know the names of many of them. We know the name of one, Hark. Uh, remember the herald angel uh, for Christmas time? We sing about him every year. But no, I'm just, that's a joke. Um, but old Hark. Uh, anyway, um, we, we don't know a lot about the angels, but we know a little bit about them. And uh, we know there was, there was a bunch that fell away with Satan. And again, they are able to do the very things that the good angels are able to do. They can impersonate a person. Uh, they can impersonate people. And they can certainly be around 
uh, events, nations, places, and uh, cause a lot of mischief. Um, you know, if heavenly angels, every time they show up in the New Testament, they have to say, fear not. Then imagine what, and that's a good angel with a good intent. Imagine what a bad angel could cause. Uh, a lot of fear, you know, an emotional response from us could come from seeing uh, or being in contact with one of these angelic beings. You don't even have to see them. I think they could just come into the area and you're going to feel their presence and um, probably not be a good thing. It's a, it's a war that's going to be there. It's against the rulers. So that would be the, the angels that are in charge of various places. Daniel alludes to this when he's talking about the prince of Persia. So he actually talks several times about nations. Uh, and then it seems like there was an angelic being, good and bad, in some context that was put in charge of various nations. So that's an interesting idea uh, coming from Daniel. Um, is that true? And is it true today? I think possible. Uh, it's, a, it's a possibility. Um, when we look at Revelation, we see that in the end times, there are angels that are seemingly over rulers over different nations and places. So would they already be at work today? I would say, again, that's a high possibility. So we're in a war against those things. When you see certain governments and you just go, that government, they seem satanic, um, such as uh, World War II era when you had Hitler. The dude was just flat out satanic. Um, what, was, what was guiding his heart? It wasn't the Lord. It wasn't one of the Lord's angels. So um, I would tend to, to think this idea was in play that the principalities, the rulers uh, of the darkness of this age were at work. And, the, and against spiritual host of wickedness uh, in the heavenly places. So uh, all of that to say, that's who we're fighting. It's an invisible enemy most of the time, visible only when they want to be, very covert, um, but very real. And it's a war that is going on in, in each mind. The Bible tells us that. Uh, Philippians alludes to that, where the battlefield is the mind. That's why in Philippians it says, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. Um, it's a, a mind of humility because the mind is the battlefield. Every decision that you've ever made, the, way, the war was waged in your mind. Think about it. The good decisions and the bad. So the influences had to come internally into your mind. So our mind's a scary place. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it, there's a lot going on in there uh, for some of us. Um, but um, I, I, I joke again. But um, we, th th this is what's happening. So now we have to put all this into play. So therefore, if, you, if you're with me still going, I agree, there is, I do have a battle between good and evil going on in my mind. I do have a battle where the forces of evil seem to just be around me and doing things that I wish they were not doing. Um, and I see that in people around me. And I'm not battling people. I see that they're also conflicted. If you're with me to this point, then therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Um, you know, it's funny because... Christianity is always seen as a playground. Um, 
you know, but it's not. It's a battlefield. Uh, it's a war field. And we, we think that Christianity, it's church, it's Sunday morning. You come here to sort of fill your tank a little bit because of the hellacious week that you come through to get here and the one that's ahead of you. We, we come to the Bible to be recharged because batteries that are sitting around, they discharge energy. And that's really what we're doing here. It's not, it's not, uh, it, it, it's not fun to be a Christian, unfortunately. We always think that we, we accept the Lord because we want to live victoriously. And yet the Bible is full of people like Stephen who preached one message and was killed. And the apostles, 12 of them, one ran away because it was too hard. And one of them lived to be an old man and the other 10 were executed. Uh, Jesus himself, three years of ministry, he was under the gun most of the time and then he was killed uh, for what he pushed, uh, which is Christianity, believing in God. So don't think because you have the right armor. I've known a lot of good Christians that have this down better than me, way better than me, and they still perished. So don't think because you've got armor on. Think about battlefields. On, the, on a battlefield where a battle has occurred, there are many, many good warriors that are laying there with all their armor on, and they're dead. They, f- they fall in battle. So I don't want you to leave here thinking, okay, so maybe my armor is thin. Maybe I need to thicken it up. But if I do all that, pastor says, I'm going to win. I'm not telling you that. I'm saying that you're going to be able to stand in the evil day and you're going to be able to fight the battle. But you may fall in it. But when you wake up on the other side, you'll be in heaven. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You fought the good fight and you finished well. That's what we're looking for. So I don't want anybody to leave here with a disillusion because this life is hard. It's uh, like a John Wayne quote, you know, life is hard. It's harder when you're stupid, though. And uh, that's an actual quote from John Wayne. I love that. And in the Christian context, I would go further and say, it's pretty stupid to go into battle without your armor. It gives you a chance. It gives you a chance to fight the good fight, the right fight, quit fighting each other, and a chance to stand. So take up the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's an interesting kind of phraseology, you know, the, the evil uh, day. That's, uh, that's a day that's going to come to all of you. It's not a tragic day. You know, we always think, oh, an evil day. So that's when a car wreck occurs in your family. That's when a death occurs. That's a, it's an evil day. Well, that's a bad day. That's a tragic day. But this is different. This is saying an evil day. This is when in your mind you are tempted with great evil. How does that happen? Um, you can be somebody like me. And something can get can be done to someone that you love, and you can have thoughts of anger. 
And that can then turn into thoughts of rage and thoughts of murder. Sometimes it's justified, sometimes it's not. You know, I think of somebody, you know, rape victims, the people that are that surround those things, um, intense anger wells up because of the injustice done. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. So there's there's right ways to go about that, right outlets and wrong. It wells up in us though because we're human to go to war. So the evil day is going to come. Outside influences are going to happen in your life and then you're going to have to figure out how are we going to stand? Well, you have to have your armor because if you don't see it through God's eyes, you will you'll respond through your own eyes and it won't be very good. So stand therefore, verse 14. I love that phrase in the Greek, the stand therefore, that is a Greek term that was uh, used actually in the Roman army. You know, they spoke Greek for the most part. Everybody says, no, they spoke Latin. No, they didn't. They spoke Greek for the most part. Um, The Grecian empire spread uh, the Greek language around the world. And then the uh, uh, Romans who came about 200 years after that, they, the main populace spoke uh, uh, Greek. And so uh, they understood this term, stand therefore. That was the term that they would, and, and the command, it's a military term. Military command, they say, stand firm. And that's when they would put their shields, you know, and, and make a wall and uh, put it above so they could turn the enemy. And they'd put a, one foot out behind them because the, the formation as they would lap their shields together, was to turn the enemy back. So they would say, stand, therefore. Put their shields together. And it would repel the enemy. Well, he's telling you this in a spiritual context. Stand, therefore. So lean into this. Having girded your waist with truth. Now the rest of the world's running around it with a lie. But he says, wait a minute, when you come into a spiritual battle, you've got some truths what truths? Well, the truth that you're saved. The truth about what's happening in the world. You see, I already know the end. I've read Revelation. It's kind of scary. But I know how this all ends. And I know where I'm going. So the journey I take to get there is sort of inconsequential. Whatever God has, whatever God's will is, is fine. At least we know where we're going. I'm not saying it's great. I'm just saying we, at least we know where we're going. The rest of the world doesn't. They're living a lie. You know, they think if they make a lot of money, maybe they can cheat death. No one ever has. They think all these lies are told. There's a lie out there that partying, you know, if we party hard, something good's going to happen. I don't don't know, you know. I remember, you know, high school years, uh, early years, no party I went to ever ended in me feeling better. I feel like I've got more energy now. You know, like I'm ready to go. Like, no, (laughs) head hung out the window driving home, (laughs) you know. It's, it's, you're not exactly winning. It's a wrong fight. Um, well, stand there for, gird your waist with truth. So get the truth of the Lord in your heart. That's the first thing. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? Well, it's hard to stand when you're doing wrong things all the time. Righteousness, what is it? Break it down. It's not holiness. It's not all the righteousness. I wish they would just... I've never used that word. Um, It would be better to say having put on the breastplate 
of doing what's right. That would get the point across better. Because righteousness, that means doing what's right. Righteousness, aiming towards what's right. So what does that mean? Okay, I'll, I'll lay it out for you. If you're constantly playing with sin, when that sin comes to your door, you're already compromised and you're going to fall. So if you're playing with it all the time, you're, you're that much closer to falling. But if you've put on a breastplate of righteousness, that means you just now put on your life covering your heart. Isn't that funny? It's like your breastplate. You're covering your heart with doing what's right. Believing in what is right. Asking God what is right. Romans 1 talks all about this. It's not about man's righteousness. You doing what you think's right. It's about us doing what God says is right. And when you put that on your life, a lot of stress is gone. And you can stand better. Because when you've done what's right, even when accusations come, think about that. Somebody at your work accuses you of doing something wrong. If you know down deep in your heart that you didn't do anything wrong, that you did everything right, then you're wearing a breastplate of righteousness and it just kind of bounces off of you. That egg didn't stick, you know, throw another one. Um, Because you did what was right. So you're automatically protected. So that's what he's saying here. Then he's saying, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Uh, Josephus wrote in his very large book. <laughs> uh, he was a historian, you know, for the Roman Empire. Uh, but he was a Jew. Interesting. He was a Jew that never believed in Jesus, lived contemporary with, uh, but recorded everything down in history and recorded Jesus down and a lot of the history of that time era. But Josephus wrote that the success of the Roman Empire had more to do with the footwear that they invented to put on their soldiers' feet than anything else. Why? Because they got the troops where they needed to go quickly. And just like uh, when I was young, I made my living uh, cowboying and riding a horse uh, quite a few miles. So I learned something. In in mountain country especially, uh, if you don't keep your horses shod and take care of their feet, then you're what we would call a foot. (laughs) You you don't have anything to ride anymore. So a cowboy, especially in mountain country, rocky, real rocky country, uh, you, you learn foot care for your horse is paramount. And it's funny because if you ask anybody that works around uh, horses, what's their least favorite thing to do, it's going to be shoeing a horse. Uh, you know, it's just not much fun really. And, uh, if you don't have a good back, it's really not fun. But, uh, and then if you have a stupid horse, you know, I mean, that, that tests all your patience, but all that to say, it's the hardest thing to deal with the thing that nobody thinks of, but it's the most important thing. You can't go anywhere if your horse wasn't shod and, uh, same idea with us spiritually, we're not, you're not going to get very far if your feet aren't shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Preparation. Uh, what does that mean? Well, that's an interesting term. Think about it. Preparement means a before action. 
So before you're deployed, before you have to do something, go somewhere, you have to get ready. That's pretty simple. You have to be ready to be deployed. So preparation of the gospel of peace. So your sheet's not, your, your feet isn't shod or, or like your footwear isn't the gospel of peace. Catch that here. It's with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So the gospel of peace, you know, um, the gospel is what Jesus did on the cross. So that's the gospel. But the gospel of peace means you're not coming at them like, like with a hammer. Get saved now. That's not the idea. A lot of times, have you ever been with church groups that are like street ministry all the way? And then they go out and it's like, we're going to badger you. You're either going to hit me or get saved. You know, I mean, and they're just in your face like, get saved now. It's, don't do that, okay? For one, they're going to finally get saved just to get you off their back. Okay, I'm saved. I believe. Thank you. You know, and they're going to go on their way. Don't do that. Um, to be the, the, the gospel should be of peace. I kind of like the way that's put. You know, it's a gospel of peace. When you wait until somebody comes to you and says, I see something's different in your life. I see you go through so much. And yet you handle it. And there's something alive within you. And I say, well, you know, I believe in Jesus. That is perfect. That's the way we're supposed to do that. So it's a gospel of peace. It's not a gospel of war. And I like that. But again, we're not to be shod with that. It's the preparation of it. So Paul said, be ready in season and out to share the gospel. And I would say that some of the preparation for, remember, this isn't preparations to tell them the gospel. This is preparating, preparation for you to go through an attack of the enemy. So you're like, well, this just makes no sense. I know it doesn't, but... When you're prepared to give the gospel, for some reason that also puts a protection on your heart and on you from the enemy. If you're prepared, God almost, I think, sees you as a soldier in his army, ready to go give the gospel of peace out, and you're living it. And there is a, a angelic protection, I believe, that's put on your life that, that keeps you, that holds you. And... Uh, it's actually a pretty neat thing. He says, verse 16, above all. So above all that, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And we talked about that a while ago. Um, fiery darts, you know, what, what was that? In, in his time uh, of Rome, um, Rome, their army was, was very good at setting up artillery batteries. And they would launch, uh, and they would say that the term was, that we will we rain hell on our enemies and fire from above. They could, they could shoot, uh, it's really interesting, I don't know if y'all are history buffs, but they would take these, these balls of grass that they would roll, and they would get these balls up to where they were the size of what, uh, close to what our, our round bales would be today. So we're talking about anywhere from 11 to 1,300 pounds of, of hay, basically. Then they would soak this thing in uh, cresote, which would bubble out of the ground south of 
uh, Rome. Uh, they would harvest it there. They would actually carry it in their ships and everywhere uh, because they would soak their, these bowls in that stuff. And when they would light it on fire, and the, the, they had it that heavy because their catapults could shoot that stuff three-quarters of a mile in optimum conditions. Three-quarters of a mile to have a hay bale, eleven to 1,200 pounds coming down. Uh, and, and these things, when they would hit, they would explode, you know, like hay would do, just hit and, and blow everywhere. And it would light everything on fire. The oil content would stick make all the hay pieces in the air stick to everybody and everything. And it would be a pretty miserable situation. Um, and so that's what Rome was good at doing. And then they had these little neat contraptions where they would bundle all of these arrows together and they would put them in this deal. They would put a hay bale and they would make a clay uh, uh, ball basically around the hay so that when it was on fire inside, it would burn for a little bit and it would pressure up and then explode. So when they fired that particular ammunition into the air, it would go half a mile or so and then blow up. And it would send all of these fiery darts down into the enemy, hundreds and thousands of them. And a enemy had a hard time standing under all of that. That's why Rome did so well. They would soften enemy positions up this way before they would send the troops in. And I mean, it was almost like modern warfare today in an ancient world. Uh, they were very good at what they did. And so Paul's writing this knowing like, well, most people that read this are going to understand Rome. And when they set up an artillery battery and uh, they rain all of this fire down on their enemy, they're going to know what we're talking about. I have to explain it to y'all because we're 2,000 years past all that. You know, today I'd be like telling you, you know, the Marines set up a battery and they mortared you, you know, but same idea. Well, here you have a shield of faith because that's what the enemy's doing. As bad as what Rome did, the enemy in a spiritual context is going to do that to your life. You're going to be shelled, okay? So you need a shield of faith. Why, why a faith? So how does, how does your faith hold up when the enemy comes into your life and starts doing this? Well, it's real simple. I will tell you, when you go through a really dark time in your life, it can come from a physical issue, uh, an, out, an external issue, in other words, that's in the real world that weighs you down. Um, the military knows this. Our SEAL training, they'll, they train just as much on psychological as they do uh, physical because they know that if we can beat somebody psychologically, the next to fall is going to be physical. Guess what? If the SEALs know that, and most of those guys are my age and younger, you know. Uh, trust me, Satan, who's been around for several thousand years, he's already caught on to psychological warfare. He's perfect at it. And so he wages psychological warfare on you because he knows, oh, physically there's this happening. Psychologically then... We're going to wreck his world. The two are tied. See, I know, I know that if you get in great shape physically, it can start changing your demeanor. Uh, uh, in other words, your character, your insides, if physically you're very strong. I know that. And I also know that if I get you weak on the outside, then you start weakening on the inside. That's, a, that's the psychology. It's, that's just how it is. Nothing you and I can do about it. We can recognize it and, and come here. 
Um, but that's all we can do. The fiery darts are coming in. And our shield of faith means that when everything else fails, you still have your faith. The thing that, that I would say in my darkest hours on this planet that has been on the line has been my faith in God. Because here's what happens in the psychological side. You will eventually say, how can a God that loves me let me go through this and why won't he intervene? The next stage two is, is he even listening? Stage three, is he even there? And finally, is there a God? You see, so it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a downward spiral in your life. Well, Paul says, I know that. That's why I'm writing and say, it's the uh, shield of faith is what you need there. You don't need muscles. You don't need uh, a counselor. You don't need all this. You need your faith in Jesus Christ. And you've got to put that, in other words, affirm it every day. You know, I don't believe in affirmations really, but this is one you need to affirm daily when you're going through the trial. I believe in Jesus Christ. No matter what, even if death comes, I believe in Jesus Christ. Hold on to that. It'll get you through. I believe in Jesus Christ. You may even be like the guy in Matthew where he says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. In other words, in, down in my heart, I want to believe, but I feel like it's getting shaky. Then believe and then say, help me in my unbelief, but keep believing. And I know that's like, that's grasping at straws. That's because that's all you got left when it gets that bad. Okay. Uh, that's all you'll have left. And it can, Paul knows. Paul found himself at the, at the end of his life living naked in the bottom of a dungeon, cold, and uh, then he was brought up and out of there and they chopped his head off. And that's how he ended his life. And he was killed because he loved Jesus Christ. And he said, no, I won't quit. I'm not going to quit telling people about the gospel of peace. So what did he hold on to? His shield of faith. I didn't say he didn't fall physically, but spiritually, he said, he wrote, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. He believed it. It was his faith. So hold on to it. And you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. Because I think those darts, what it is, is it's, it's darts of unbelief. Because when the trials hit, then the enemy hits us and he wants us to quit believing in Jesus. What's the whole point of his attacks? To get you? He knows you're going to die anyway. Just wait you out. You know? kind of like if you have an enemy that runs up in the mountains and the rocks, what do you do? You know, my first question would be, is he wounded? He is. Wait him out. You know, let's watch a movie. Wait for him to die. I'm not going up in there after him. He might kill me. Well, the Satan knows you're going to die. He's been around for 2,000 you know, years just during the church age here. I mean, the, the dude's old, okay? From the beginnings of the, the world. I know at least 6,000 years of him watching people He'll outlive you. <laughs> He'll still be the prince of the power of the air here when you and I are dead and gone. So why not just outlast us? It's not the point. The point is to get your faith wrecked. Because if your faith is wrecked, everybody that's watching you, their faith is wrecked. It's a battlefield. Then he says, verse 17, and this is still, in, I think, the above all, 
Verse 16, you know, above all, take the shield of faith. Then in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Because look, if you're fighting and you're not saved, there's no point. Okay, you're just fighting. What in the world? I'd quit too. Um, if you're saved, then it makes the whole thing worthwhile. A helmet of salvation, again, the helmet goes on the head. It's to protect the mind. Because in the worst trials when you know, but I'm saved, then it makes everything okay. Uh, again, it's like, I already know this stuff. I know. But we need to be reminded of it because for some of you guys, you're in the middle of a trial. For others, you just came out of one. And for the rest of you, you're just going into one. And uh, there are no other categories. That's pretty much it. We're, we're all in flux of going through stuff in life. That's just how this world works. And we need to have these things in place. So the helmet of salvation. And then we come to the sword of the spirit. And you all have been like, yeah, finally, something. Which is the word of God. Now, a lot of pastors will hone in on this one. And, uh, and I've talked about this before, you know. I want you to picture in your mind a soldier. And he's got his helmet on, you know. And he's got his shield and he's got his breastplate and his waist is girded. And, you know, he's ready to go. But no sword. Just, he's just ready to go. Can he really fight the enemy? Not really. I mean, he can defend you see, everything we've just now went through is a defensive weapon, right? Shield, I mean, I guess you can take your shield and whack somebody with it, but I mean, you know, unless you're Captain America, uh, your shield is generally not useful uh, as anything other than a defensive weapon. So everything we've talked about is defensive. Why? Because he knows that most of the time in the Christian life, defenses are going to matter. We have one offensive weapon. One. Interesting. Sword. That can be used for defense, but it's pretty handy in the offensive realm as well. Uh, you know, so what happens? Well, normal people, they go through this and they go, blah, 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 feet, blah, 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 uh, sword. We'll focus on that. So what happens is that nice little picture you have, and I'll take all that off of him and give him a sword. So then you have the naked warrior. You have this guy standing there, and he's got a sword, but naked, trying to fight the enemy. And that's humorous, but, you know, it's kind of pitiful. That's most Christians in life, going, I don't know why I'm losing. Like, because you're naked, and you're fighting with a sword. You're swinging wildly, and this is, this is nuts. Most pastors, that's what, they, that's what the, their problem is. They take the pulpit and they're basically spiritually naked and they got their sword. They're like D'Artagnan up there, you know, cut them down. And they're quoting scripture here and there and the Greek and the Hebrews flying, you know, like, bam, look at me go. And they're, they're wanting the compliments afterwards. Thanks, pastor. That was a great word. I know you're welcome. God bless you. You know, they're into that Sunday thing, but then their life starting on Monday through Saturday looks terrible okay so when that happens it's here's your roller coaster sunday i'm on i got my sword d'artagnan cutting them down and then uh the naked pastor the rest of the week no defenses you're living and you're going like why why am i feeling sunburned you know like well <laughs> you know you don't have you don't have anything on 
The Bible says you, that you need to have your, your clothes on as well, plus your sword. Your sword is the only offensive weapon we have. So it's kind of like when, when uh, you were growing up, your parents would tell you, you know, you've got one mouth and you've got two ears. Use them, you know, kind of in that uh, same uh, factoring set, you know. Well, this is the idea here. You've got one offensive weapon and you've got several uh, defensive weapons. So use them, uh, you know, to, in, in that regard, okay? So defensively, you have to have all that so that offensively you're able to stand. I think that's a, it's a good idea to, to think of that. Now look, um, the sword, I, wanna, I do want to focus on it a little bit. Have you ever seen, and we don't use swords in our culture. I know you're all thinking like swords. You know, I'll just shoot you. I'm kind of like Indiana Jones. The guy, the swordsman comes out, ah, ah, you know, and he goes, ah, shoots him. Um, you know, that's funny because on the set, if you read up on the history there uh, of that movie, uh, what was his name? Uh, Harrison Ford. There you go. Uh, Harrison Ford was sick that day when they were filming. And so they were supposed to have this huge fight scene with this swordsman. So the swordsman comes out and he's not feeling good. So it's kind of a, as a on scene prank, he just goes, eh, pulls his gun out and shoots him. And they put it in the film because they thought it was so funny. So, uh, but he was, you know, I had a cold or something going that day. But uh, we, we deal with guns, you know, I mean, our culture, I'm sure there's a few in this room, but no hands. But uh, we, uh, we, we're in Texas, you know, everybody likes their guns. So, so what if I tell you, you know, uh, your one offensive weapon is going to be your gun. We'll just, we'll just trade out the sword. So there you go. Well, some of you are going to go, That's, I'm cool with that. I've trained with the gun. I, I can hit what I'm aiming at. What kind of gun are we talking? And we could sit here and talk about guns, you know, the rest of the morning. Well, some of y'all in this room would go, guns? What? And you may shoot your foot off before you could, you know, put the thing back in its holster. So the thing is, if, and you know this if you've handled a gun, in order to handle one and two very well, you need to practice, right? You need to know what you're doing with the gun. You need to know how to load it, unload it, clean it, take care of it. You know, you have to know what you're doing. And then it's somewhat useful. If you don't know what you're doing with the gun, it's actually sort of not useful, and it's actually dangerous for me, you, and everybody else around, and your feet. So the idea is you need to practice with the weapon before you go into combat. You know, doesn't make for a good movie when they pull their swords out and they say, hold on. I need to get my Swords for Dummies book out. You know, what's the next move here? You know, you need to know what you're doing before the battle comes. So, you know, go to the shooting range. You you learn, learn what's going on. So here we have the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. That's what he says. It tells us what it is. It's the Word of God. So when you're going into these situations, we have to know the Word of God just as you would want to learn how to use a gun before going to a gunfight. Learn how to use the Word of God. Now, I want to also point out that you learning how to use your weapon isn't for the bad guy. You learning how to shoot your gun isn't for the bad guy. It's for you. Right? 
I mean, this is just, this is basic. Why is it when we go to the Word, we think, I'm going to learn some Scripture so I can give it to Him? Because why? Makes you look good. You see, we think if we learn a lot of Scripture, then that's how we go to battle. Remember, it says earlier, we're not fighting against people. Verse 12, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. So why are we misconstruing Scripture and saying, hey, I'm going to learn the Scripture to go bat you over the head with it? Worst use of Scripture is to go try to convict other people. You're not the Holy Spirit. That's not your job. It's not my job. We learn the Bible so that when you're going through trials in your own life, you use it for yourself. You pick up a gun to defend yourself, right? You take up a sword to defend yourself. This is all about you personally. You take up the Word of God holding it like a sword to defend you against the wiles of the devil, not against people. Case in point, Jesus, he was tempted. Remember in Matthew. Three times the devil came at him and he says, you know, you're hungry? Turn the, turn the rocks into bread. And Jesus three times came at him with scripture. Not to combat or to go, aha, Satan, touche, you know, no, it was to say, no, I'm quieting my heart within me. I won't do this. See, the battle was never with Satan. The battle was inside Jesus. And Jesus demonstrated perfectly what it's like to be tempted and to do battle with oneself. Not that's the enemy. The enemy comes into your mind and you're then going back and forth right here. It's right here. Good or bad. I love the Mickey Mouse cartoons back when we were kids. Um, I don't know if y'all remember any of those, but it'd have good Mickey and, and devil Mickey on the shoulders. You remember that? You know, and there'd be the one with the little angel and a little goody two shoes, you know, and uh, oh, do what's right, Mickey. And Mickey's like, oh, you know, and then the bad, bad devil, uh, Mickey Mouse over here, you know, get him, sick him, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, it's like that, that pull. And I thought, that's exactly where we are. That there's a good and a bad within us. We think it's the devil made me do it. No, the devil just maybe, he may have, have uh, kind of pushed you a little bit, but you're the one making the decisions. I'm fully in charge of my mind. You're fully in charge of your mind. You get to decide which way you're going to go. The, the, the battle is going to be within your mind. And here he's saying, you take the sword, which is the word of God, and you go, no, I'm standing on the word here. I'm not giving in to that temptation because I know my word. Well, why do, you, why do we fall? Because we set the sword aside. We set it aside. When, when a shooter comes into your home, okay, and, and in the context of a gun, you may be very proficient with said weapon. But if said weapon is unloaded, which I won't get into this, but if it's unloaded and locked into five layers of security and blah, 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 um, and your ammo is stored at a different location, you know, and all of this, bye, uh, you're not going to make it. Um, the, the thing about gunfights, remember, have you ever seen an Old West movie? It was whoever could get to their gun the fastest and get out, take aim, and fire, generally won. That's just generally how those gunfights work. Um, it's, it's all about getting to your weapon in, in a, you know, a decent amount of time. Um, you know, cops are trained in this and so on and so forth on, 
uh, proficient use of the weapon and making sure that your ammo is chambered, you're ready to go, and all of that. And then for some reason, as Christians, we come to this, to the Word, and go, oh, I studied it back in 1975. I think I know it a little bit. You need to be proficient, dude. You need to be ready. The Bible says in season and out. That means when it's kind of convenient and when it's not so convenient, always be ready. Always be ready. You never know when your phone's going to be ringing. As a pastor, I never know when my phone's going to call or ring. Someone's calling me, sorry. Uh, And I don't know if it's going to be a light conversation or a heavy conversation. Um, I don't know if it's going to be an attack or somebody that's wanting health. Uh, you just, I never know, frankly. So you live in this state of limbo going, I've kind of always got to be ready. Well, what about if you're having a bad day? I know. It's funny that in a military context, they wait for the enemy to have a bad day, and that's when they hit. And guess what? When you're having a bad day, that's when the enemy hits. So you need to be ready to fight on your worst day. In North Korea, there at our military base, they have a saying. It's there in Guam as well because of the, the nuclear capabilities that we have there. And on the base, it's uh, their motto is ready to fight tonight. In other words, 24-7, all the time, we are ready to fight tonight. And that's how you are as a Christian. You should be ready to fight tonight. Where's the attack coming from? And pray for spiritual eyes to see through the people to the spiritual side of what's happening around you in these fights because it's there. Now, he ends this. We need to, we need to move on here. Uh, the Word of God, verse 18, praying always. So on top of all that, prayer. Because prayer is extraordinarily important because it puts our mind uh, it, mentally in the same path or the same railroad as what the Lord is on. So it, it, it aligns our will with His will. We see things properly praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So if you can't pray out loud, be praying inside. I literally go through my day praying all the time. Mainly not because, not praying for others as much as praying for myself just all through the day because I'm weak and I need it. And praying keeps me from doing things that I wish I wouldn't do. When I'm not praying and when I'm not in the Word, I start the flesh starts rearing its head and I start acting like I wish I wouldn't. And, uh, you know, the things, the anger and all of this other stuff starts welling up and I don't like me very much. So pray always with prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So then he says, pray always with the, with the prayer and supplication in the spirit, watchful supplication for all the saints. So he says, Pray for one another as well. Pray for one another. Um, why? Why? It's because the fight's very tough for me. So he says here. This is more about the letter now. He says praying specifically for me, because remember he wrote this as a letter to the Ephesian church. That utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in change. That it, in it. I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So he says, these are the things I do, but then kind of a tail end thing. Hey, by the way, guys, pray for me that I could share the gospel of peace and I could do it boldly. And uh, then he leaves us with a gracious uh, greeting. It says here, verse 21, 
And these things we're not going to go into depth on. He's just ending his letter. This was 2,000-year-old news uh, that you may also know my affairs. Those affairs are over now. And how I am doing. Uh, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. So this was a fellow in history we know was traveling. He says, I'm tired of writing. He'll tell you the rest when he gets there. Whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs. So you want to hear the real gossip? I'm not writing it in the Bible. He can just give that to you. And that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren, love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So he ends. So uh, we'll end as well. (laughs) Really good passage. Look, I know we didn't cover it in great detail. You'll spend the rest of your life trying to live these verses out in your life. So if you fail, don't worry too much about it. Try, try again. You know, I mean, that's kind of the idea. Uh, These things are here, I think, for us to reference back to. And when you get down in a trial, you know, one of the things that that has helped me the most has been making a daily reading of my Bible just a, a something that I do, even if I don't get a lot out of it. You know, sometimes I'm reading in the Old Testament, and I'm like, well, huh, that was interesting. You know, yet sometimes the stories just, just don't really minister to you. But the story at the end does, because after you've focused in and you're just reading, later you start just seeing it's part of you, it's in your life. And when the trials hit... These things just kind of start oozing back out of you. Um, you know, so you remember what Jesus said. They were talking about, you know, the things that contaminate people. And, you know, he said it's, it's not what comes out that contaminates. It's what goes in. And uh, so it's what we feed ourselves. So I would say on this whole sword thing, it's, it's what we feed ourselves on. And I'll tell you this. Any of you guys uh, in here that's done any, like, competition shooting? You know there's a difference between somebody who buys a gun but scared of it. You know, there's a, there's a, the, the fear of a gun. But if you ever learn to get through the fear to where you start enjoying shooting, oh, wow. It really, it really it starts getting fun then. Because then now it's competition on, I, I'm enjoying using this to get proficient at it. And I'm no longer scared of it. In fact, I love the thing. It's kind of it's a, it's a it's fun as far as a sport goes, just to learn how to shoot. Do that with the Bible. Get past your fear of the thing. You know that's always terrible. It's like where's the family Bible? And it's like a family Bible on the shelf <coughs> under, you know, five inches of dust. Don't do that. Stay in it. Be proficient, and you'll finally come to a place where I love this, and now it's feeding me, and it's the bread of life that I need. Amen. All right, good study. Uh, Kaysen is uh, going through Philippians, so I don't know where I'm going next, but we'll go somewhere. Um, I'll, I'll visit with him some, see what he wants to do after Philippians, but we'll, we'll keep going through the New Testament, uh, either move on to Colossians or move on up, First Thessalonians, somewhere. But we'll, we'll move on up and keep on moving through the Scripture. But uh, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, we come before you, and uh, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this uh, very timely word for us, uh, for our church, Lord. We, we need this, and we need to 
refresh ourselves, Lord, on the spiritual, uh, well, really just that spiritual warfare exists. And also that there are tools you've given us that we can stand, that we have a fighting chance. It's not that we won't fall, but we can fall fighting. And, uh, and we know where we're going, Lord. And so, Lord, I, I find comfort in your word. And Lord, I pray today that the comfort that's here in your word would go forth onto your people, Lord, and that we could all leave here today, Lord, holding on to pieces of the scripture, whatever we needed today, Lord, that we could, we could strengthen those areas of our life where we are lacking. And Lord, that we could reaffirm our salvation, our faith, Lord, uh, righteousness, Lord. We, we need what's right in this world so bad. And uh, so, Lord, may we, as, as your saints, as the Christians, Lord, may we put these things on our spiritual lives, and may we stand, Lord, in the battles that you put in front of us and place us in. Lord, until we meet again, we do ask that the angels that we talked about in the service today, Lord, that you would place them in our lives uh, around us, that you would watch over us, uh, Lord, that you would keep us. And more than that, Lord, that you would keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.